0: the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy and JOSPT are joining forces to bring you the virtual Sports PT Conference on Friday the 3rd and Saturday the 4th of November. This is the premier online event for sports physical therapists in 2023. The conference blends the best in clinical practice with the latest in research so that you are in the best position to help the patients and athletes you work with. From what to do to reduce injury risk to top strategies for boosting the athlete's performance, the 2023 online conference has you covered. Check out the link in the show notes to see the full conference program and to secure your ticket. Hello, and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Tendinopathy is one of those common and often challenging musculoskeletal conditions that you'll encounter in clinical practice. It's also an area where musculoskeletal rehabilitation clinician scientists have made important contributions to how we help patients manage tendinopathy. From the types of exercise programs and doses you might prescribe, to how you help patients progress loading when they're working towards returning to sport, and even what advice you might share about injection therapies. And when it comes to measuring outcomes, it's no different. Today, we're talking with one of the next generation of clinician scientists in the teninopathy field. Physiotherapist and PhD researcher from Edith Cowan University in Perth, Australia, Dr. Miles Murphy follows in the footsteps of people like Professors Jill Cook, Craig Purdom and Karam Khan in improving how we measure the outcomes that patients care about. Please check out the show notes today for links to the key works that we mentioned in the episode. Okay, let's get into it. Dr. Miles Murphy, welcome to JWSPT Insights.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you on the podcast today, Miles. We are chatting in September and for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, it's typically the start of the new school year. And for some of our listeners today, they're going to be getting started in a new musculoskeletal rehab degree like physical therapy, athletic training, kinesiology, sports therapy, Welcome to a very rewarding profession. You've made a really great choice, folks. And when you work in the musculoskeletal rehabilitation field, as Miles knows well, tenonopathy is a condition that you're going to come across fairly often. And it's really interesting because you're going to come across this condition in people from all walks of life, different ages, different activity levels. Tenonopathy is really one of those conditions that you have to get comfortable managing and treating, it can feel like a challenging condition for clinicians and patients and athletes to manage. And a cornerstone of making an accurate diagnosis in tenonopathy and then delivering an appropriate treatment is assessing the problem really well. And that's why I'm so pleased to have you with us on the podcast today, Miles. You've got plenty of experience as a physio helping patients and athletes manage tendinopathy. And you've also spent quite a bit of time as a researcher studying teninopathy. What are the outcomes that patients and athletes with teninopathy really care most about, Miles?
1: If you know what they care about, it's a lot easier to treat. And I think that's something that is so important in clinical practice is that from patient to patient, there's going to be a big variety of what people think is important. The athlete will be far more focused, for example, on return to play as opposed to necessarily pain. They might be quite happy to tolerate pain. Whereas your patient that's coming in with grumbly pain and the the pain starting to impact their general life activities, you're going to treat, you would think quite differently in the goal setting and how you determine what you want to do is going to differ. I guess from a research perspective, the best guidance we have on what is important is from the ICON statement that Bill Vincenino led, which came up with nine core health domains for tendinopathy. So these are different sort of domains of which a lot of different outcomes fall into that patients as well as researchers thought were really important. And that includes the patient rating of the condition, their capacity to participate in everyday life activities like work and sport, their pain with loading. This is their specific pain that they get if they're hopping on the spot or running, their general level of function, psychological factors such as fear of movement or stress, physical function capacity, which might include, say, how many calf raises you can do or your jump height, The level of disability, disability being a bit of a composite score of multiple domains, including pain and function, overall quality of life, and then pain over a specified time frame, which would be things like morning pain or how bad the pain's been over the last week. So I will typically, when I treat patients with any form of tendinopathy, really reflect on these domains and try and figure out for the patient in front of me which are the ones that are the most important that I need to, to quantify. That I need to measure and that I need to try and improve for them to get them the outcomes that they're after.
0: I think that's really important because one can quickly feel overwhelmed when you go through and you think, okay, there's nine domains. I've got to cover all of these things. How am I going to do that? I've got a limited amount of time.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one where clinicians, everyone's private practice setting is different, everyone's athletic setting is different. And so, really, a key clinical skill is being able to drill down into which of these sort of domains are important at different time points. So in your initial consultation, there's a very different focus on what domains might be important, which you'll get by listening to the patient's story as opposed to what you might be reflecting on throughout the course of the treatment journey.
0: So Miles, it's sounding like there's a lot of that honing your active or reflective listening skills so that you can really drill into the key factor or factors that you're hearing from the patient or the athlete, as opposed to saying, okay, in the early phase, I ask about pain and I ask about function, and then I move on to return to sport later. Return to sport might, for someone, be the most important thing,
1: and you really need to pay attention to that early in your assessment. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other thing is You've got a license to get it wrong. I think a lot of people worry that, you know, if they don't ask all the right questions in the first consult that they've stuffed up. But even now, I see a lot of tendons and people will leave and they'll walk out the door and I'll go, oh, I really should have asked them about this. One of the things with tendinopathy is it's not a one consultation fix, is that you can't just give someone miraculous advice or do anything and they're going to be cured after a single, you know, healthcare visit. You know, the chances are they're going to come back. So you can definitely... Make notes of those things that you want to ask in the next consultation to make sure that you do tick off on all the different boxes that you think are important, and there will be things that come up when you're dealing with patients who in the second consult, they say something and you're like, "Oh wow, like I actually had no idea in the first consult that that might have been important for you. I obviously didn't ask the right signaling questions or you know what you were saying didn't really alert that to me, so you can always pick that up at a later a later stage
0: and we're really drilling into the questions part of, of assessing today. We're not talking about the other physical function tests that you might do with someone with tendinopathy. And I will take the opportunity to plug Ebony Rio's podcast. We will link to that in the show notes. Dr. Ebony Rio did a wonderful job at describing how she approaches the whole process of managing tendinopathy, working with athletes, what you would assess at different time points and and then progressing through to return to sport. Today, we're really focusing on the patient-reported side of things, the questions that you you might choose to use. Miles, how did we typically or how do we typically evaluate patient-reported outcomes in, with people who have tendinopathy?
1: I'll take this from two fronts. I'll talk first about sort of what the research says, researchers measure, um, and then I'll talk about what clinicians do. So there was a, quite a large systematic review that was led by Karen Silbernagel which published in Sports Medicine in 2022, which looked at all of the different outcome measures that people had used in tendinopathy studies. We'd done a similar review about five years prior, and we came up with the same thing, even though we'd only used exercise-based interventions. So it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the exercise literature or the surgical literature or the injection literature, the Two measures that people are most commonly using are some form of pain with loading, which is typically a a visual analogue scale or a numerical rating scale of pain. And then to assess disability, which is the other one that is most commonly assessed, the majority of studies are using the the Victorian Institute of Sport Assessment of the Achilles. So 64% of the studies that were interested in disability used the, the visa and there was hundreds of studies included. So you can see that they're both really popular tools for researchers, both the the rating scales of pain and the, the visa A. On the flip side, clinicians are a little bit different. So we did a qualitative study where we spoke to clinicians. So these are people that were all practicing, and we asked them what they do in clinical practice and also what they think they should do in clinical practice. And this was really interesting. So what we found was in that sort of consultation where they're looking, you know, at diagnosing pain with loading, so those sort of visual analogue scale of pain with calf raise or single leg hop were really important and pain over a specified time frame, So morning pain or pain over the past week. The other things, not so much questions that they valued were important was their palpation and also the level of function that the person had. So what they're, they're currently doing. And that was very different than when we looked at the assessment over time. So when they were then assessing someone over time, Palpation fell right out of the mix, which you know makes total sense, right? And physical function capacity, so their ability to perform physical tasks like calf raise to fatigue, et cetera, ended up being the most important thing. So clinicians really valued how the physical function was changing over time as well as the pain with loading, pain over specified timeframe, and this is where disability became a bit more important. So those measures like the visa being more important for clinicians From what they thought as far as change over time, as opposed to needing to necessarily need that in the first consult. In this study, is we then asked them, as I mentioned, well, what do they think they should do? And it was very different. And we also asked them why we do, why they do certain things. And there was two main responses from the clinicians is that A, they had time and financial constraints. They felt that they didn't have time or the capacity to say, give people outcome measures and wait for them to fill out. And they also felt that they did some things because they felt they had to. So a lot of clinicians felt that palpation might not have necessarily given them a lot of extra clinical value versus what they already do, but they felt it was something that they needed to do as a part of the. I think one participant referred to it as the show to demonstrate that they knew what they were doing. We haven't necessarily, with some of the tools that we've got, considered some of the barriers that people have in clinical practice to make sure that we develop tools that are. Usable for clinicians.
0: Miles, you mentioned Achilles tendinopathy before, and we are zooming in on on Achilles tendon and Achilles tendinopathy today. Let's talk about the VISA, which is a really common patient reported outcome for tendinopathies broadly. It's not it's not only used for Achilles tendinopathy. It is very common in and people reading research articles looking at assessing and diagnosing and and treating Achilles problems will find the visa, but it's got some shortcomings. So what are the shortcomings in your mind
1: of the visa? The biggest problem with the visa, it was was just ahead of its time in the way that you know the visa was developed, I think it's over two decades ago now, and it was developed before there was any good international guidelines on what a prom should entail. And actually, when you go back and look at what was published at the time, the visa A was actually one of the best published studies. It was actually a really good study of how we understood from development. But over a couple of decades, things change. And probably the biggest criticism that I think there is of the visa is that there wasn't patient involvement, is that it was done by a group of expert clinicians and researchers. So you can see even with the questioning that the questions in the visa are very much relevant to things as far as how we understand tendinopathy. Your pain, your stiffness, your able ability to perform functional activity. But it doesn't necessarily translate to what a patient understands. And it doesn't necessarily translate across all different types of patient groups.
0: You've set me up beautifully to ask what's the big reveal for today's podcast? Today we're we're promoting a new scale, something that is building on the fantastic foundations of the visa. So tell us about. Tendons A, Miles?
1: The tendonopathy severity assessment of the Achilles, which in short is the tendons A. And what this is, it's a new tool to predominantly look at disability. But disability is complex because, as mentioned earlier, it's sort of a composite measure of multiple domains. So it's incorporating things like your pain, your capacity to do things. What we did with this is we took the commonly utilized tools that already assess disability. So the VISA, the foot and ankle outcome score, and we sort of condensed as a steering committee those questions into what we thought were important, and we created a basically a skeleton structure of what a new outcome measure should look like. And then what we did is we consulted a number of internationally recognised experts in the research field as well as clinicians, and we said, okay, well, this is what we've come up with. What do you think is important? And we, they were able to add in whatever they thought was valuable or provide commentary on any aspect of what they thought would go into the tool. And we included people with physio, podiatry, general practice, sports medicine, orthopedic surgery. We tried to go as broad as possible. And then once we got their opinions on what they thought were important, we went to the patients. And it's quite funny, <laughs> not to discount the expertise of my colleagues and those that were involved in the study, but the patients actually provided far richer data as far as what should go into the, the prom than the professionals. One of the ones that really stuck with me is in Perth, where I'm based, we have a large mining workforce. So there's a lot of shift work. And one of the participants said to me, what's with this question about morning pain? My pain's predominantly when I wake, get up at night time. And I was like, well, what do you mean you get up at night time? Like, oh, I do shift work. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's... You know, so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world do shift work. And our primary question to find out about pain is morning pain, but a lot of people don't wake up in the morning. So, you know, amending those things to pain upon waking and those sort of insights were things that as a research collective and a clinical collective, you're never going to have until we got the patients involved. And then once we'd sort of come up with our huge list of what was important, we went to a survey round. And the survey round went out to a larger number of people. So we had 30 internationally recognized clinicians or experts included in that survey round. And they basically helped us cull out what wasn't important and provided commentary and suggestions as to what it should look like. There's three main things that we look at. The first is that all the questions are relevant, because if they're not relevant, what's the point of having them in there? That they're comprehensible, so that everyone can understand what their meaning is. And then that they're comprehensive so that the entire questionnaire sort of encapsulates everything that we think needs to be captured in relation to tendinopathy of the Achilles in particular. So, and then we finished with more patient interviews, actually had the patients tell me about the prompt. So I sent it out to them, they had to complete it, which let us know, you know, how long it takes them to do the questionnaire. And then to actually make sure that they understood each of the questions, I would ask them, okay, so question one, explain what this means to you. what they were saying matched what we thought they should be getting out of that question. So that's what the, the tendons Achilles or the tendons A is, is a outcome measure to assess disability, which includes subscales of pain, symptoms and function, that is designed by researchers, clinicians and patients and is understandable and relevant to researchers, clinicians and patients. Yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we did, the the tendons is now something that can be used for research and can be used in clinical practice. But there's a few little provisos on that. There's still data that needs to be analysed and reported on as far as its reliability, its structural validity. So it isn't at the stage yet where you shouldn't use anything else. So I would recommend at this stage that we're using the, the tenants A alongside other tools like the Visa A or the Foot and Ankle Outcome Scale.
0: And a big congratulations to you and the whole team. It's, as you say, a huge undertaking to get all of this work done. And I think, as we said earlier, building on that very strong foundation of the existing visa to then take it to the next level. And and you also mentioned that the Visa's decades old now. So it's as always happens in research and clinical practice, things evolve and that's a natural and a good progression. How many questions are in the Tendons a?
1: There's a number of questions that some are scored and some are not scored. So there's a couple of signalling questions to start, which, which just ask people about their pain and function, particularly which activities aggravate. Because one of the biggest critiques of, say, the, the visa was that if you were someone that didn't do sport, you automatically scored a bit lower than someone else that didn't. So we had some specific attention to that. And people have to report whether, you know, their pains with running, is it with jumping, is it with walking? And then that really triggers off then everything else throughout the survey. So instead of asking, say, about running, if someone's most aggravating or the most aggravating thing they do is walking up and down stairs, they answer that about walking up and down stairs. And then there's questions related to general pain general symptoms and then their overall function as far as, you know, how long they can um, have they had to drop their level of physical activity. So were they someone that used to jog and now they can't jog anymore and that's scored in that context. And then there's a number of different visual analog scales, numerical rating scales, more particularly, I know those terms get thrown around a little bit interchangeably, as to pain with specific loadings. That's probably the biggest way that this differs from other tools is that there's elements of pain over time. But there's also specific, it's about you actually need to do these tests now and let us know how sore your your tendon is when you're doing these these types of tests. And when we did the pilot testing, it takes them less than five minutes to complete the entire outcome measure. And that's something that we wanted to be very conscious of, was create a, a measure that tried to reduce the barriers to implementation in clinical practice.
0: Nice. I really like that. And five minutes sounds like a reasonable amount of time that you could find within a consult. I appreciate everyone's really busy in a in a clinical consultation. I feel like five minutes is something that feels reasonable to, to add in. Miles, knowing what you know from the research field and from your clinical practice and experience administering these types of tools, how would you interpret the results of attendance A score
1: yeah. So this was, I alluded to this earlier, but we wanted to be very clear that 0% is good, which was the opposite of the of the visa was that in say the visa, hundred is good. Whereas most people's brains work as zero is best. And then the higher the score, the worse I am. So when you're looking at someone's 10 and score, the lower, the better, but there is also groupings of that. So there's groupings as mentioned, related to pain related to symptoms and related to function. And it might be that there's specific subscales that are really important. So what you might find, for example, is that someone's actually scoring quite well for stiffness, but they're scoring very badly with their pain on loading. And that might then give you some form of treatment direction. I've got no evidence for this, more just clinical inference as to going, okay, well, my treatment intervention for this person needs to be more targeted at, you know, where they're, Majority of symptoms on that sort of reported scale are sitting. Just a single tendons A score. At the moment, we don't have any data, and I don't think there is for the, any of the existing scales as to what that means, just if you've got a bad score to begin with. For me, it's more about change and being able to see that over time, these things are changing and changing for the better. So their pain with loading is decreasing. The amount of time that they have stiffness after they do exercise is decreasing. And you should be able to track that quite clearly.
0: Now, as we wrap up, Miles, you alluded to it earlier that Tendons A is still in its infancy, really. You've done a power of work to get to this point and there is more to go. Give us a taste of what's to come. What are the next steps for Tendons A? And when can we we ditch the Visa A, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: I don't know if we'll ever be able to ditch the Visa A. It will depend whether our testing in the next phase is good. So what we've done is we've done a very large survey of participants with the Tendons A as well as other scores such as the Visa A and the Foot and Ankle Outcome Scale. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a look specifically at the structural validity, which is letting us know that all the items on that tool are measuring what we think they should be measuring. If someone's more severe, as far as their Achilles tendinopathy disability, they should be on the higher end of the spectrum for every question on the, on the Tendons A. They shouldn't be, you know, a 10 out of 10 for everything and then a zero on another question because that would indicate that some of those other questions aren't telling us what we think they are. So we are in the process of doing that as well as looking at the reliability, which is really important to make sure that if people do fill out the tool on consecutive occasions that they are able to get similar scores if their symptoms haven't changed, that is tricky in tendon land because tendons can change daily. So usually with reliability, you might look at something a week later. But if you did this tool on a Monday and you've had nice rested few days, and then you redo it on the Friday, but on the Thursday, you went for a big run, you could actually score extremely differently because we know that tendon pain can change so dramatically within a short period of time based on load. So the way we've structured the reliability is within the same session. We're hoping that over within the next 12 months, We'll have a, an update on this and we'll be able to tell you whether or not the tendons A can be used as sort of the primary tool for Achilles tendinopathy to assess disability and some of those other domains, because it will include those subdomains of things like pain with loading and pain over specified timeframes.
0: Sounds like we need to get a booking in our diary to have you back on the podcast in about a year's time, Miles, for an update. Dr. Miles Murphy, it's been a pleasure having you share Tendons A with us on JOSPT Insights today. Thanks for joining me on the podcast.
1: No worries. Thanks again so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn,